0: I'm Erica Lyson.
1: And I'm Lara Mitra. And this
0: is How I Got Here, a podcast that captures the twists and turns of professionals' careers and how they figured out what to do next.
1: We are two business school students at MIT Sloan and former consultants who are looking for inspiration on how to navigate our own careers. We hope that these conversations also help you figure out what it is you want to do and how you'll get there. On this episode, we talked to Elise Newmeyer, Chief People Officer of EverQuote we discussed what it was like for her to graduate college during a recession, finding work that aligns with her passions, and how being open to serendipity served her better than adherence to a strict plan. We hope you enjoy.
0: We'll be right back after the break.
1: Hi,
2: I'm Elise Newmeyer, and I am the Chief People Officer for EverQuote.
1: Could you take us back to the Elise of 2009, graduating from Tufts after studying anthropology, and tell us a little bit about what you were looking for in your first job? What were you trying to get out of it?
2: A paycheck. That was (laughs) the most important thing. So, 2009 is the height of the Great Recession. You know, I watched many of my classmates lose offers that they thought they had lined up after graduation. I thought that I was going to go to grad school. And as a a theme in my career, I'm not a great planner. I'm like, all right, well, that's my plan. I'm going to go to grad school. There's no plan B. There's no thinking about what's after that. I did not get in. Uh, I wanted to study anthropology. Did not get in to the program, the only program I applied to. Again, not a great planner. Didn't think about options. (laughs) So it was... I think the week of graduation that I got my job. And at the time, that wasn't that weird because it was 2009 and everyone was struggling and everyone was just pleased to have a job. I got that job because the CEO of the company came to speak in one of my marketing classes. I went up after, to him afterwards and said, hey, sounds like a cool tech startup. It's internet advertising. And he was like, yeah, hiring entry-level people. It didn't come with health insurance. It was like a contract basis to start. It was like, whatever, it's a paycheck. I don't want to move home, I will take it. Did I want to go into marketing? No, I don't think I put a lot of thought into what I wanted to do, I just wanted to have some kind of job. Um, and I knew that at that time like beggars can't be choosers. So.
0: And so then I guess how did you find marketing once you were there?
2: So my actual job was to watch YouTube videos to verify that they were what they said they were. So it was not marketing. <laughs> their proprietary technology was this tool that every time I watched a video, I clicked a button that said, this is actually, you know, Shakira. God, I cannot watch any YouTube videos from 2009. Like that is (laughs) burned in my head. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I was pretty frustrated with it pretty quickly. It's not even actually on my LinkedIn profile. I was only there for six months. It's like, all right, I, I'm done with this. I uh, used that time actually to start thinking about what I really wanted to do and got back in touch with some people that I had met networking and found Phillips. And that was a much more structured, strategic job.
1: Can you take us through a little bit about what you were doing at Phillips and then ultimately what led you to pursue an MBA? So at Phillips, I also
2: started as a contractor. Again, still 2009. Uh, <laughs> take what you can get. We were building out an internal. They called it entrepreneurship, so an internal startup that was designed to capture the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. I was and am still passionate about sustainability. Uh, a lot of those funds were targeted for energy efficiency projects, and so I kind of poked and poked and poked and raised my hand. and. Anytime there's anything related to sustainability marketing or how we thought about talking about our lighting from an energy efficiency lens, I just, I wanted to be there. After, I think, a year and a half, I got the opportunity to make that my full-time job. So I was the sustainability marketer for Phillips Lighting North America, and I had a really cool opportunity to kind of craft what does that mean. It was really awesome. The economy was still not doing very well, and in late 2011, Phillips started contracting again, and so they decided to close their Massachusetts headquarters and consolidate to headquarters in New Jersey, and so they laid off everybody in our office. So October 2011, I had taken the GMAT. I had not really thought too hard about business school. But I got a severance package that was pretty nice. They wanted me to stay through March, and then they would give me a severance package. And I was like, "Sounds great to me. I'm gonna go to business school." And again, not a great planner, so I applied to. <laughs> I think that day, the next day I went and I visited HBS and Sloan, and I applied to HBS and Sloan and <laughs> hope for the best. Yeah, that was like. Again, not a ton of forethought that went into it. It was just, okay, now my options are kind of laid in front of me. My last day at Phillips was March 30th. I got rejected from HBS on March 29th. I didn't hear from Sloan until April 2nd. So I had this awesome weekend where I was like, I have no job, no plan B. I have no idea what I'm going to do on Monday. I remember that Monday I just was wandering around my neighborhood what do people do all day? (laughs) How am I going to fill my time? So getting that call from Sloan that I got in was incredibly, I know everyone, hopefully everyone is very excited when they get that call, but for me, like the stakes were incredibly high. I had no other plan.
1: Under different conditions, do you think that your career at Phillips would have been longer. It sounds like you found this perfect role as the sustainability marketing person for North America. And now looking back, what are your perspectives on like if you had stayed or or how things would have been different?
2: Absolutely. My plan had originally been that I would stay and I was going to go get my MBA at night. And so I would have stayed there. I loved the people that I worked with. I really enjoyed, I found a lot of beaning and, and energy efficiency. I still wanted to get an MBA because I looked around and all the senior leaders had one, and I was like, all right, I have to have those three letters, but it's much cheaper to go at night. This is the advice I give to people now when they talk about that decision about um, going full-time for an MBA, not getting an MBA, going at night. And I think you really have to be confident in pressing pause on your career. And had I not been laid off, I don't think it was the right time for me to press pause.
0: And so at your time when you were at Sloan, what did you get out of that experience? It sounds like it was a glorious day when you found out you were going to get in. And then when you're on campus, the first semester, second semester, what, what were you learning to help you understand what you wanted to do afterwards?
2: Every focus area, additional class. I was a TA a couple of times. Like I just wanted to do it all on the academic front. And that, I think, is a very different path than a lot of people take, and certainly a lot of my close friends took. But school's my jam, and I loved it. And I only really started thinking about what I wanted to do in the summer when I was really forced to. I took the first summer internship offer I was given after my first interview. I interviewed with Keurig. They offered me a summer internship. I took it. (laughs) And it it was a great experience. I learned a lot about operations. I learned a lot about the kind of corporate environment that I like and that's where I had the realization that I wanted to do consulting. I was like I'm not ready to settle into a career yet. I want to keep learning. I miss that thrill of learning that I had at uh, Sloan and so when I got back to campus in September I went all in. I had my husband giving me case interviews every night. I was like We're going to get this done. And so, again, last minute decision and ended up accepting an offer at Bain. It's like, great. I'm not going to think about jobs for a solid year.
1: And how did you think about that job at Bain when you started after graduating and and now in hindsight having more of a career? How do you look back and think about it?
2: I am so glad that I took the job at Bain. It definitely was not for me and I can go into the reasons why, but it did scratch the itch I had. I just wanna keep learning. I just wanna continue to be pushed. I need to be exposed to more. I'm not ready to settle down. I'm not ready to pick the path that I wanna be on. And I will not deny that the brand name has been really impactful in my career since. So I, I don't regret it for a minute. I'm really glad that I did it. I'm glad that I put in two solid years but I was a terrible consultant, <laughs> and I, I will be the first to admit that I, I was not good at that job. I learned a lot about myself in the process and what, what I like in a job, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. It toughens you up. There's no doubt about that. It's a good experience for that.
0: Typically, when we think about career changes, we're thinking about moving from one company to the next. But in your case, we know that you actually ended up staying at Bain, but just changing your role. Could you tell us a little bit more about how that happened?
2: I, so I, I knew that I did not want to be a client-facing consultant anymore. It's not for me. I had one day that I really enjoyed, and that was doing a change management workshop for our clients. And I loved that content. I really enjoyed prepping for it. And I really enjoyed the woman that I was working with. And so here I am, I'm like, everything is terrible. I don't know what I want to do. I have no plan. Once again, I hate what I do. The one positive over the last year and a half was this woman, Jen Andrasco. And I'm going to anchor on that. So I emailed Jen and I said, are you looking for a practice area consultant? Because to your question, it is a lot easier to change internally, or at least try that first before you make the leap to leave a company. And she was hiring, and I ended up taking that job. And I... I give Jen a lot of credit for my career since then because she restored my confidence in myself and it was like the best possible transition job for me to have because at that moment I felt like I was terrible at everything. I had no idea what I wanted to do. She really, you know, brought me back to feeling confident in my own skills and what I brought to the table and I think I could not have taken a job outside of Bain that I would be successful at or would even like if I didn't start from a place of confidence.
0: I would love to hear how the Wayfair transition happened because it sounded like you were at Bain, you were really happy in this new role, and you said that you thought you were gonna stay there for quite a while, but that didn't end up being the case. So what happened there?
2: What happened with Wayfair is actually my sister-in-law's sister-in-law was a recruiter at Wayfair, and at some family function I had offhand mentioned to her that I was doing change management consulting, and I think that I wanna go into HR, but I definitely don't wanna do actual HR, because I know nothing about that, and that sounds kinda boring. But I like people, and I don't know what job that is, but what's in the back of my mind? About six months later, she reached out to me, and she said, kinda crazy, but I have an opportunity in our talent organization for someone who has zero HR or people ops or talent experience. They're looking for a former management consultant. Would you be willing to come in and talk to the VP of talent? I had one conversation with Kate Oliver, the VP of talent at Wayfair, and I was like, I don't care what you hire me for. I want to work for you. She was cool with the fact that I had zero experience, and it really was the perfect role for me. It was using strategy consulting and a lot of what I had learned in my MBA, but the problem space was people. I just got so much energy from that. And for me, that was like, things were clicking. For the first time, I felt like I was in my power space in that role because it did actually play on my strength.
0: And so what are some of your strengths that you think ge- help you be successful in that role and give you that energy?
2: So I think two things one i do think i have really high eq and so i i read people really well when i was at phillips i had a co-worker who told me that my super ho- my superpower everyone has a superpower my superpower was that wherever we went the strangest people would confide in me and i do think that is like a superpower that has a very useful place in people operations Is people tell me stuff and they looked to me for career advice. My peers at Bain often came to me for career advice. That's why I never got anything done when I was sitting at my desk. And I think that, that the coaching element, especially in my job at Wayfair, I got to use that skill set and I got to, to like got paid talking to people about their problems. I'm not a therapist, but I could, you know, give them advice and I could learn about all the different challenges that they were facing and and talk them through things and bounce ideas. It just talk to people. The other strength I think that is valuable is that I do, and this is something that I learned in consulting, is the kind of 80-20 rule and, and simplifying, simplifying, simplifying. And so taking a very business-oriented approach to people operations I think is very refreshing for a lot of companies and I think made me very successful at Wayfair and I'm hoping is going to help the team
1: that I'm on today. And as someone who gives career advice and from what you've received as well, what do you think makes good career advice and how do you become a good career advice giver?
2: I try to identify what a person's strengths are but also what their power place is. This is a, I, a term that I started using at Sloan with um, one of my really good friends. But it's like when you're in your power place, like you, you're unstoppable. That's when you have just... You're getting so much energy from what you're doing and you feel just invincible. And understanding that and then giving someone confidence that that is valid and going to make them successful and that they should have confidence in themselves, I think is the best advice you can give someone. Most important is that you feel confident in the decision you make and you go into whatever your next adventure is with full confidence. And so that's what I try to focus on when I talk to people.
0: Can you give us a sense of, I know you've been in this role for maybe six months or uh, um, so far, but what is the role or the day-to-day of a chief people officer?
2: Oh man. Day-to-day, it is a mix of, there's some keeping the lights on stuff. So making sure that people are you know, have appropriate benefits, and you know, employer relations issues are dealt with and addressed in a timely fashion. And but in particular, why I was drawn to this role, and I think why they were drawn to me, is that I need to make sure that that day-to-day part of my job is maximum 30% of my time, and I need to be spending 70% of my time thinking about scalability. I'm thinking a lot about, okay, what is our employer brand, and how do we attract talent how do we pay people that was a really fun I just came out of that The last six weeks coming up with a compensation philosophy and then completely changing everyone's compensation and then organizational design so spending time sitting down with leaders and talking through like do you have the right leaders in the right spot should we move this person over there does this person need someone over them does this person need more support under them and then that feeds into a lot of those other pieces.
1: Before, you were telling us a bit about your passion for energy and sustainability, and now it sounds like you're very passionate, but about something pretty different. Can you tell us how your passions have evolved over time, and if you're still in touch with those previous passions of energy and sustainability today?
2: I definitely thought that I would go into a career in sustainability. My plan... in a very vague sense was that, you know, I'll do some other stuff in business and I'll eventually find my way back. And that might still be the case. I still think I'm fundamentally passionate about it. I think that it's increasingly something that we all need to be passionate about. But I have found that there's a lot of different ways to have an impact on people. And I have found that working in people operations is a way for me to have a meaningful impact on people and jobs and the economy. I found another way to do good, and that is very important to me. To be honest, I struggled to find a job that took advantage of my skills and what I'm good at in that domain. And so I found this other area where it takes advantage of my skills. So ideally one day I could be like head of people ops at a sustainable company, fantastic. I'm still then maybe potentially on that path. But in the meantime, I would like to create good jobs for people. And I want to change the way employers treat their employees. And I want to, you know, improve the diversity in the tech industry. And I want to make STEM careers more viable for women and people of color. And I find a lot of meaning in that portion of my work.
0: It sounds like the way that everquote approaches talent is very strategic, whereas it feels like in traditional companies, it's kind of seen as a cost center. I guess, how, does, how did, do you think the CEO has changed that perspective? Or how do you, either in this company and in future companies, kind of bring that angle and show that this is actually something that you need to think about strategically?
2: It happens to be that my domain is people, but I have just as much of a voice in the room as everybody else. It's the stigma that people have. And I certainly know when I talk to people who are in MBA programs, like, HR, I've never really thought about that. Like, I don't want to go to HR. And it's because, at best, HR had a seat at the table. It should be much more than that. You should have a voice.
1: People talk a lot about how luck has shaped their career. Some people say they've been very lucky. Others say it's not luck. It's they made their own luck. How do you think about luck in your career as it relates to the different decision points you've made?
2: I certainly think I have been very lucky. I think it's a combination of luck and starting from a point of privilege. I certainly think that at various points, though, I will be the first to say it is not like my ingenuity in planning. Like, I got lucky that certain things happened when they did, at the time they did. Like, you know, getting laid off was awesome. That is the best thing that could have happened to me because I got you know a massive severance package and a six-week vacation before I went to business school I also am a person who's very open to like serendipity and so I kind of seek the coincidences and you know I, I let luck play a big role
1: Throughout your professional life, how have you thought about building the successful career that you have while also having time for family, friends, things outside of work? I
2: actually, I do put my career first. And that is a decision for my family. Like right now, my career is first. My husband is a very successful lawyer and he's in a spot in his career where he has a little bit more flexibility and that hasn't always been the case so so right now like I'm working kind of crazy hours and and he has you know really done an incredible job making that possible by doing way more than fair share of (laughs) um you know taking care of our daughter I think one of the secrets of getting more senior in your career is you have more flexibility. Like the more senior you are, the less someone cares about where you are and when. And so I have a job now where I can come in every morning. I come in around like 9:30 because it's really important to me that I drop my daughter off at school every day and allow her to be her like very slow toddler self getting out the door and that's a benefit of being more senior. But I, I I wanna be very transparent that I think for me at this stage in my career, you have to make a decision. You cannot do it all. I, like you know, my daughter does not get well made lunches. You know, she's in daycare from eight to six and it's a sacrifice.
1: So it sounds like, in your own words, up until this point, a lot of the career decisions you've made have been somewhat unplanned. And I think in business school and some of the career advice we're given is to think ahead into what we want to be and eventually and plan all the steps to get there. What What do you make of that? Or what would you tell someone who wants to do that but is struggling because your story is very different but also successful?
2: So my advice is that That works for some people, but that's not for everybody. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I never have. Seven-year-old Elise wanted to be a Foley artist. That's the person who creates the sound um, in a movie. (laughs) That's the only time that I've ever had a real career aspiration. I Actually, I met with someone who has my job at another company, and she and I were comparing notes on how we made the decision to take these roles coming from business. And she was very much thinking about it as here's my long-term objective and I'm going to work my way backwards. She talked to a lot of people. She made a very careful you know, survey of the pros and cons. And she's like, how did you come to this decision? I was like, well, I always take every interview. This is my philosophy. Even when I'm enjoying a company, I answer every recruiter. I talk to every company. I've interviewed consistently for the last four years now because uh, I think it's a great way to learn. And the job that I'm in now, they made an offer. I said no. I said no again. They took me out to dinner. It was a very nice dinner. There's lots of cocktails. I said yes. (laughs) And she's like, okay, that's that's a very different approach to thinking about your career. But so far, I mean, it's worked for me, and I love to learn. I think that is the most important thing for me to optimize around. And as long as I'm learning, I have at least learned that uh, not having a plan hasn't held me back. And I've really enjoyed the like twists and turns that my career has given me by winging it. And so I'm just gonna keep winging it, and I'm gonna keep taking interviews, and I keep exposing myself to different things, and who knows, Like maybe I'll be, I don't know, a, a CFO. Maybe I'll be a Foley artist one day still. There's still hope.
0: We're gonna try something new at the end of this episode. Based on some feedback we've heard from listeners, we wanted to share some of our own personal reflections about what we gained from our conversation with Elise. We hope you find them helpful and would love to know what you think of this segment. As someone who's interested in being more of a generalist and less focused on a particular function, I was glad to hear that in Elise's role as a chief people officer, she was able to bring her whole set of business knowledge to the table and not just those that are focused on HR. Of course, you want to be competent and an expert in your own domain. But a lot of the value that you're bringing as a as a leader in a company is your general business knowledge. And so when you come to an executive committee meeting, you're going to come with that knowledge and help make the the decisions that the company needs to make more effectively. Because realistically, most problems that we have are going to be cross functional. And so it's going to require not just one domain expertise. I always struggle when people say to follow your passion, because I have a hard time picking one that I want to dedicate my work and identity to. Plus, mine are always changing. So I was really relieved to hear Elise talk about how her passions had evolved. You know, first she started on a for the focus on sustainability and had an amazing role there. And now, you know, years later, she's found that she really cares a lot about helping people develop and find careers that are good fits for them. I think it's just important to remember that you can find new things that are important and new things that you can be passionate about and things that you can be good at rather than just trying to follow whatever passion it is that you have today. One other note I think to mention is although a full-time MBA program has worked for Elise, me, and for Lara, I think it's helpful that Elise mentions that it's not for everyone. You know, looking at a part-time program that you can do while working can be a really good decision. Uh, For us, it happened to work out that we could take a two-year career pause, and that's helped us elevate where we're going to go. But that might not always be the case for everyone, especially when you account for finances and the financial burden that a two-year full-time program takes on.
1: For me, it really resonated when Elise acknowledged that she still didn't know what she wanted to be when she grew up and that that's okay, For her, it's clear she is seeking jobs where she can continue to learn and is surrounded by inspiring people. So instead of chasing a particular title or role, she's chosen to solve for the characteristics of a job that she finds most compelling. And I love that philosophy because it seems easier and more realistic to me than pinpointing what exactly it is that I wanna be doing five, 10, 15 years down the road. A second reflection I had was that Even though a theme of Elisa's career path seems to be serendipity and a lack of robust planning, it struck me that she still put in a lot of work and effort to lean into those serendipitous moments and make them come to life. For example, she talked about applying to every job that she's approached about or studying really hard to master the management consulting case interviews. It reminded me that even if I choose to leave some career decisions up to serendipity, It doesn't mean that I can sit back and relax and wait for things to fall into my lap. It takes work.
0: You can find more episodes of How I Got Here wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this episode, please consider sharing. It really helps. Do you know the perfect person for us to interview next? Or do you wanna be on the podcast yourself? Check out our website. At howigotherepodcast. dot com, we'll be back with more episodes soon.